0: Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. Sometimes life is hard, isn't it? Sometimes. Sometimes. Maybe often. Life is hard. We get busy, so many things we're trying to accomplish, and there are good things along the way, lots of good things, right? We know that they're interspersed and we do enjoy those things. and Blessings of God, but sometimes it just, you know, you're busy, you're tired and doesn't have to be older. But some, hey Mike, Mike Pruce says, uh, how old are you now? Are you 40? Yep, and that's when his Achilles tendon ruptured. See Mike, it's all downhill from here. No, not really. But those of you who are, put, you know, following me quickly through the years, do you notice that it's, it's harder in the morning? Or when you do something like we raked the lawn yesterday and so I got up this morning, oh, 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 oh. right? The things that happen in life, uh, sickness, illness, diseases, all those kinds of things, and then people that you know and love Die. And, and we're left behind. And you have that whole separation thing going on. So, even though there's lots of good, there's, there's so much along the way that just like, oh, this isn't good. And, and, and here's the deal what I want you to see is we somehow, as human beings, we have this lingering sense. Well, let me, before I say that, I want you to realize that if we are random chance accidents in this universe, and there is no purpose, and there is no plan, then we should expect it to be this way, shouldn't we? Right? Suffering, death, pain, all that. We should expect that. If it's all by random chance and there is no God. I want to tell you something. There's an evidence today that there is a God. One of the evidence, many evidence, but one of the evidence is this, that you have a, a lingering sense deep down inside of you that this is not the way it's supposed to be. In every human being, there resides a little bit of memory of paradise. And and a longing that things would be that way again. So we have this deep longing for what God created us for. We have a sense that there must be something more. That there is something still to come. That all the people that we've said goodbye to that there will be a reunion again one day. That'll be nice, won't it? And I think I can think I could sit here and probably start going through the pews and, and think of the people who used to be here, but who are no longer here. One day, reunion. All in the future. Well, last week we focused on future for those who have never trusted Christ as Savior. And we, we saw what the Bible says about hell and how horrible it is and how we should never, ever get over that. Because we as Christians need to, to make sure that, that people hear about Christ and, and don't have to face that terrible destiny. But you understand, too, hell is not what we were originally made for. That place of condemnation and all that goes, is not what we were made for. We were made for something different. We were made for that, again, that longing that we have deep inside that there's something yet to come. And when we trust Christ as Savior, there is something yet to come. And so last week, we, we did look and see what the Bible says about hell, those who have not trusted Christ as Savior. But today we're going to go in another direction, okay? but just as important, just as valuable to us to understand. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's fine. We would encourage you to take the Bible in the pew and follow along with us. We'll give you the page numbers to make it easier for you to find them. So there's a Bible in there in the pew. Take it out and turn to page 1214. Page 1214, that says 1217, I think it's 1214. It's in that vicinity, okay? It's in that vicinity. Luke chapter 23. This is a story of, of we, we, we start on this day, Palm Sunday, and then this week in history there with Jesus. He, he taught uh, so much, in fact, just about a third of our, our New Testament Gospels are devoted to what he said and did in this last week. And so he he taught so many things, and the religious leaders plotted, and and by Thursday, they had him in custody, and of course, we know he ends up, they end up crucifying him, uh, actually accomplishing God's purposes in the process. But so we read about the crucifixion here, something that went on with it. Uh, Luke chapter 23, we'll start in verse 32. Jesus has now been crucified, and it says, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do about those who were crucifying him. And they divided his garments and cast lots. They gambled to see who could have them. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Somehow, he either knew about Jesus already or came to know him or observing, we don't know, but he recognized that Jesus was not just any other human being. And then he says these words, verse 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that is an amazing thing. Because this man, why is he there? Because he's a good and righteous man? No, because he's a criminal. He's done things that are worthy under their law of capital punishment. And yet, has something has happened in his mind and his understanding about who Jesus was. There's something that's happened in his heart that makes him turn and look to Jesus and said, remember me when you come to your kingdom. I, I, I get who you are, I need you. I need you. And then Jesus says today, we're going to die and you're going to be with me in paradise. No time to go back and pay back whatever he did wrong. No time to to join a church or do some religious rites or any of that kind of stuff, right? Only Jesus. Turning to Jesus. And Jesus assures him, of paradise. So think about this. There are two responses to Jesus here, aren't there, from these one hanging on one side of him and one hanging on the other. And there's two different responses. And I want you to understand this, that their responses are, are very clear. These are the only two responses there are to Jesus. Either you see who he is and turn to him and believe and trust, or you do something else with him. Those are the only two choices. And it's only the choice where you turn to him, trust and yield yourselves to him that you get paradise with him. Well, we want to talk about this paradise and the place of the dead today, the place of the righteous dead. And so who went to paradise? Last week we talked about who went to the place of dead, which we would consider hell, the place of torment. That's those who have not yielded to Christ, who have, have continued to live life their own way in contra, uh, um, contradiction to God and what he says. Now, paradise is also the place of the dead. At this point in time, it was still the place of the dead, and there was a place of the dead called paradise, which, which we would consider to be like heaven. It was a place of peace. And comfort. And the people who were there were the ones who had realized that they had sinned and needed God to forgive them. And they had yielded to Him and trusted Him in that and said, Not my ways anymore, God, your ways. I'm turning to you. I'm trusting you to save me. And and so, this idea of paradise was where saved people, people who were saved from hell, went before Christ died and rose again. It too was a holding place in a sense, a place of comfort, a loving relationship. And when Jesus died on the cross for sin, this is where he went. He spent three days with these people down there. People who didn't know who Jesus was, right? In the Old Testament, they knew they had sinned, and they knew God was sending a Messiah, and they said, oh, God, I I trust you. I'm going to trust your provision for me and forgiveness of my sins. And and they were there in paradise. Now Jesus, the actual Son of God, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, shows up, and the Bible tells us he talked to them, he preached to them, he explained to them, he told them about the whole fulfillment of all of these things. And when he ascended then to his father after his resurrection, the Bible tells us that he took all of these people with him. He took paradise with him to what we now call heaven. And so before this time, people, when they died, went down to paradise. But now, when we die and go to heaven, we go where? Up. Now, I'm not going to worry about where, with, if up is from the United States or from China. We get the idea, right? The up, upward to God. And I want you to notice this. Where is Jesus going when he dies? Where's he going? What does it say? Today you'll be with me where? In paradise. Jesus is going to paradise and he's taking someone with him. We need to do the same, don't we? Those of us who are going to heaven, we need to be taking people with us. Well, let's talk about Heaven now. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Page 1335. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul here tells a story about a man, and and, uh, most Bible scholars believe the man he was talking about was himself. But we see here that the Bible again speaks of heaven as paradise. Chapter 12, verse one, he says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So here they are. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. words, Paul said, I experienced something. Whether God took my spirit and I saw it or whether he took me and saw it, I don't know. But it was very real to him. He said, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Third heaven, what do we mean? Just real quick, so you know, the way that they looked at the world. The first heaven was our atmosphere, okay? That was the first heaven. The second heaven is all the stars and galaxies and planets, everything else out there. And the third heaven was where God's presence was manifested. That's where He took paradise. So, He says, caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body, or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into, he caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, there are things in heaven, things in paradise that we cannot fully know and understand as long as we're earthbound and living in these bodies. He said, I heard inexpressible words, words that's not even right to try to say. And we don't know what it will be like, do we? We really don't know for sure what it will be like when we, if we die now and go to heaven. But I think we can consider the kinds of places that we view as paradise here on earth, right? Think about it, places on earth, say, wow, that's a paradise. Well, let's take a look at okay? Let's look at some of these. We got a, a mount, uh, I mean, uh, the first idea of paradise, a tropical paradise. Is that up there somewhere? There we go. That looks a little like paradise, doesn't it? Anybody go for that right now? Yeah, okay. And I think we got a mountain paradise. Is that what's next here? Oh, that's awesome too, isn't it? You see sitting beside that lake? And, and I don't remember what the next one is. What's the next one? Oh, yeah, something beautiful. I mean, it may not be paradise to you, but there is something about farm country. You know, it's just a sense of wholeness and goodness. And then the, I think there's one more. Yeah, how about just that garden? Some of you, how are your gardeners? That looks nice, doesn't it? That's a place to bring healing to your soul, isn't it? Paradise, we, you could put in your own idea of what paradise is in that sense, but I want you to understand, heaven is better than that. Heaven is better than this. Remember in our passage today, with the criminal on the cross, what did Jesus promise him? Did Jesus say today you'll be in paradise? I'm tricking you. Did Jesus say today you'll be in paradise? Today you will be with me in paradise. The Bible presents the hugest blessing of heaven as personally being in the very real presence of the Lord in a way that we are unable to experience here on earth. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. And as long as we are in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And he says, we would rather be where? Absent from the body and present with the Lord. To be with him will make it heaven. Now, understand this. That this is why people who aren't all that excited about being with the Lord in the here and now aren't all that excited about heaven. Right? Why would you want to go to heaven and be with someone who you really don't care about being with now? But the reality is that being with the Lord in heaven will be better, far better than anything here on earth. Far better. Think of what's awesome here on earth, the the beauty of creation, right? From the flowers to birds to trees to ocean, the mountains, and on and on it goes. How about the best food and drink in this world? That's good sometimes, isn't it? I mean, it's just good. The most amazing, and, and I say this very carefully, listen, I say this carefully. The most amazing experience of physical intimacy a man and woman can experience together, but the Bible says to depart and to be with Christ is far better, far better than the best that this world can bring you. Because and, and you see, when sin first entered the world, it messed everything up. Every negative thing, every hard thing, every hurtful thing, every longing that's not fulfilled, all of these things came because sin came into the world. And so when we go to heaven to be with him, that's all taken away. All taken away. And so heaven. Always look forward to it. Let it shape your, your life as a Christian. Look forward to it and take people with you. Take people with you. Anybody ever come to you and said, hey, wow, we ate at this restaurant the other night. It is an amazing restaurant. We loved it, had a great time, it's a great atmosphere. Food is awesome, and the prices are okay. Tell you what, we, we want you to come with us next time we go. And you, have you ever done that? You ever invited somebody to go out here with you? Or been invited, right? You want you take someone with you to something that's good. How much more should we want to take people to heaven with us? That they can experience what we're going to experience. Turn to John chapter 14, page 1241. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus hears, he's he's, he's getting ready to uh, be crucified and go, and so he's talking to disciples, he's teaching them, and he's going to be leaving them behind. And he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When we go to heaven, we are going to live in places that have been specifically prepared for us by the Lord. Specifically prepared for us. Now, I want you to understand something. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Peter? Yes, but only Peter? Is he talking to James? Just Peter and James? No, he's talking to what? To all of them. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, by the way, there's lots of places there. We're going to be there together. Together. There will be a grand reunion at this place that the Lord is preparing for us. Now, this word mansion, let me back up just a minute, say this idea of reunion, that when the Bible talks about when Jesus returns and takes the people out of the world, he talks about those who have died in Christ rise first, and then we who uh, are still alive, we will rise and we will be what? Together. Together. With the Lord together. So, have you lost a loved one? Have you lost a Christian loved one who's just so dear to your heart that sometimes there's still an ache? Oh, you're going to meet him here. This place that he has prepared for you, you're going to be with him again if, if, and only if you trust Christ as Savior. Now, here it talks about in my house, the the New King James says, and the King James says, are many mansions. If you're using, reading a a more modern translation, it might say many rooms. Doesn't have the same ring, does it? But I want you to understand this, that in the Old English, mansion literally means dwelling place. It's not the idea of a little room. It's a, a place to live. That's, they use the word mansion. So if you have a place to live today, Old English, you have a mansion. Now, where you're going is better than what you got. But so uh, don't let this idea of rooms or, or discourage you because I, I want you to consider some earthly, I call them starter apartments for Christians. Starter apartments. Let's take a look at these. Okay, this is an awesome one. Now see, this is actually a whole thing on top of this building. You can't see it. It's a pool with a slide and all that. That's a pretty cool starter apartment, isn't it? But it's a starter apartment for Christians because we're going to be going where the Lord prepared a place for us. Let's go to the next one. Okay. This is underwater. This is actually a place underwater that they made. That's pretty cool. That's only a starter apartment. Let's go to the next one. Okay. This is, a, oh, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? A place right there in the water. Starter apartment. It's nothing. Go on to the next one. You can't, it's hard to see the colors with this rich wood and the paint and the big, you know, upstairs balcony. Only a starter apartment. Go on. This, this place, this is, uh, it looks like a huge hotel lobby. What it really is, is this is a, like a penthouse, um, uh, hotel rooms, a place to stay, and there are 10 rooms in this place. It is huge, okay? Starter apartment, all right, let's go to the next one. Oh, this is awesome, you can see up over the beach, beautiful, starter apartment, is there another? Yeah, this one, just, this is just classic, classy, only a starter apartment beautiful starter apartment. I just get tired of all these starter apartments. Don't show me any more starter apartments, okay? I want to see the ones Jesus is making. These are only starter apartments in comparison with the Lord's. And really, I don't think these can compare to where we're going to live in heaven. On top of which, we're going to be with Jesus. With the Lord. And because, again, notice that something important about heaven. Jesus makes it clear here in John 14... I will go and bring you to myself. Jesus is what's really going to make heaven heaven. He is. So heaven, always look forward to it. Take people with you. Now, what's really cool is this. We have this mindset, okay, this is earth, um, and then there's heaven, okay, two different realms, and that's true right now, but I want you to know something. There's a coming a day sometime in the future when God is going to turn earth and the entire universe into one heaven, into heaven. This earth and the universe. It says he's going to to redo this earth. He's gonna redo the the, the space and the universe. He's gonna redo all that and it will all be heaven then. New heaven and new earth. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Now here in Revelation we find a lot of things about heaven, uh, but it's all about this future heaven, and we we tend to equate this uh, with heaven now, and I'm sure a lot of it is just like heaven now, but I want you to see where we're headed. Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay, so all things are gonna be made new, and I think, I believe, restored to their pre-sin glory, or maybe even better, And then he says this, also there was no more sea. That disappoints me on the face of it. I love the ocean. Um, But the way that they saw the ocean back then was a lot different than the way we see it today because of the way life was. But I want you to understand this. When it says no more sea, it means no more seas as we know it. Because when we go into the Bible and look in the prophecies of Ezekiel, we discover there will be a lot of water And there will be many sea creatures, many creatures that live in that water. And most notably that these bodies of water will be mostly fresh water and life-giving. It talks about this water coming down into the Dead Sea, which the Dead Sea now is so salty. Nothing lives in it. There is no life in the Dead Sea. And it says that the waters will come down into that sea and will heal it. And life will be abundant in it. So there will be large bodies of water. And I, I don't know if I put a picture up. Yeah, okay. The picture before this we, we saw was the sea the way it would be envisioned by them. But this is, this, is, this is not a sea. This is Lake Michigan. We can have a huge body of water, can't we? Without having the oceans as we now. So the point is, we don't know. But I've got to tell you this. I wouldn't worry about it much because this is going to be heaven and whatever's there is going to be better than what's here? Okay. So then we have this description of new heaven and new earth. And again, these are the ones that we often think of. Let's read on, starting verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. See, that theme keeps coming up, doesn't it? All right? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. That's enough to make a Baptist preacher want to run around and dance, you know? Anybody happy about that? I mean, when I, when I counsel people, and you see the anguish in their soul and the pain and all this kind of stuff, it's gonna be gone, gone, doing away with all death. All death gonna be gone. No more crying. No more suffering. No more reason to cry. There are reasons to cry here. No more reasons to cry then. Let's re- jump down to verse nine. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls Filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a, a Jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. That's about 1,400 miles, okay? Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall 140 cubits. 260 feet wide, this wall, according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, and then sardius, and chrysolite, and beryl, and topaz, and chrysoprace, the jacinth, and amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. That's something, isn't it? And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. (sighs) It's a lot, and it's more than we can really figure out. The size and this beauty. Look at the jewels, right? Look at what this means is the colors. All these different colors and and stones uh, will be part of that. And then, of course, what we really think of and so often spoken about heaven, streets, what? Of gold. Streets of gold. Their gold is just gonna be pavement, Verse 22 and 23, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The presence of the Lord provides the light. This doesn't mean there will be no sun or no moon. It just means that in this city, you don't need the sun or the moon for light because God is manifesting his presence in a way there that is light. I'll jump over to chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was this tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations with this life, this wholesome life. And there shall be no more curse. Now, that's the first time that's said. What is the curse? It's talking about going clear back from when Adam sinned against God and everything was affected, right? The earth was affected. The elements were affected. Our lives were affected. Our relationships were affected. All by sin. Do you know that you carry a heavy load of sin every day? Even if you aren't choosing to sin, you still carry all of these burdens that go along with sin. And somehow or other, we're gonna step from here to there and it's gonna be gone, Would that be nice? Gone? This lightness. I didn't realize how much I was carrying. There will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And I'm not sure what that means. I don't think it means anything weird, okay? It's the idea we have this connection with him. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Listen, heaven in eternity is a real place. It's more real than this place. Doesn't seem like it to us, doesn't it? Right now it seems kind of concrete to us, doesn't it? And Heaven's sort of a fuzzy thing. But when we get there, we're gonna discover that this was the fuzzy place. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about, like right now, I'm casting a shadow here. But that shadow, see me on the wall? Can you see the on the wall over there? That's not me, right? That's my shadow. But what he says is this, that where we're living now, and what's now is like that shadow, and heaven's like the reality. And see, somehow deep down inside, you know that. Because there's a longing there for what you were really made for, that sin has so long prevented you from experience. Heaven, always look forward to it and take people with you. And I'm skipping forward a couple of slides there. John, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to go to heaven? Now we don't want to hurry up the process. God will get us there when he wants us there. But yeah, If you want to go to heaven instead of hell which we all deserve then you have to receive Christ as Lord and Savior there's no other way the same verse we read he says I'm going to prepare a place for you he says no one comes to the Father but by me you have to come through Jesus and it involves acknowledging that you have sinned against God we all have And that sin has separated you from him. And because of that, you can't go to heaven. Because of that, you will get what you have earned, which is separation from God forever in hell. But Jesus, God's son, loved you so much that he came into the world. He lived that perfect sinless life. He died on the cross. As he did, he paid the penalty for our sins. He rose again from the dead with that new life, that eternal life and he offers to every one of us the opportunity to be forgiven, to receive eternal life, have him move in, and our destiny now becomes heaven and will never, ever again be hell. It'll be what we talked about and so much more, so much more. Let's all bow our heads today and close our eyes. If you're here today saying, yes, I, want to, I would like to go to heaven, yeah, it scares me, the idea of dying and going to heaven, but I know that someday I'm going to die, and when I do die, I want to go to heaven. I do not want to go to hell. I want to go with, and, and be with Jesus. I want to go and be with other Christians that I know that have died and gone to heaven. I want to see them again. If you've never once and for all received Jesus Christ as Savior, you can do that right now. In fact, just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you've never once and for all settled this issue in your life, today you can. If you want to settle that issue once and for all and go to heaven when you die, pray along with me in your heart. You pray silently. God knows what you're thinking. Say something like this to God. Say, God, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I know if I die like this that I've earned hell. That's not what I want. I believe that Jesus died for my sins to pay that penalty. I believe that he rose again from the dead Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Right now, I accept his payment for my sins. I trust Christ. Amen. Heads still bowed, eyes closed. The Bible says that if you prayed that to God right now and you meant it from your heart, that every sin is now forgiven that you now have eternal life. When this life is over, you will go to heaven to be with him. And in a very special way, he has now come to be with you and live in you and begin to help you to change from the inside out. And you need to respond to him in that. I wanna give you an opportunity to make a first response here. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment, if if you prayed that prayer with me to receive Christ, you would raise your hand All right, so if you just prayed with me and you meant it, and I received Christ just now in that prayer, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Yes, I see that hand. Others? Others today? All right. Father, thank you for these two who have raised their hands. Thank you, Father, that you have saved them. They have eternal life now and that they will be with us, with you in heaven. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name.